Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you. Sing through the night, oh God, 
chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I don't earn it, I don't deserve it, still you give yourself away.
never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. That is 
feel that you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Welcome to week two of our sermon series on the seven signs or seven miracles of Jesus. And today we're going to be in John chapter four. So if you turn in your Bibles to John chapter four, beginning at verse 43, can I, can I ask you guys something? When Dawn sends out the Friday email, do you ever read the scripture ahead of time? Because like I probably wouldn't a lot of times if I were in your shoes, but I hope you do. And I hope you, I hope you pray about it. I hope you pray for me at that moment. And, uh, or whoever's preaching in here, and just pray that God speaks through his word, right? All right, John chapter 43. Last week, we, we saw the first sign of the first miracle, and it was when John, uh, when John, when Jesus changed water into wine at the wedding feast in, in Cana. And of course, today, we're going to be looking at the, the second sign, the second miracle. Now, what in the world is the importance, or what is the significance of these seven signs that John gives us in his gospel. Well, at the end of John's gospel, it actually tells us the reason. John verse, chapter 20, verse 30 says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these, these seven signs that we're looking at are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So I am hoping that each and every one of us takes this as a challenge to to catch all seven signs, seven miracles. You know, think about who you can invite as well. We have these cards that are made up. You can drop these off at your work. You can take them with them, stick them in your purse, probably not your wallet. But when you come into contact with somebody, you can invite them out, right? in all those different situations. And you don't have to use this, but who can you invite to hear about these things. Here's what we said last week about these seven signs, these seven miracles. It's that all of them are meant to work together to give us an accurate picture of who Jesus is, right? Now, the short title of this sermon is The Gift of Rejection. The Gift of Rejection. I have come to realize that sometimes in life, rejection is a strangely wrapped gift. Rejection can be a strangely wrapped gift. This, this might come as a total shock, a total surprise to you, but I was a bit of a geek in high school. 
Really? Yes. Seriously. Yes. Yeah. I know it's hard to believe, you know. Growing up, I, I, I loved gym class and I hated gym class. I loved it because you got to play kickball and fun games and everything like that. I hate it because I was always one of the last ones picked. Always. It would always come down to me and a couple other people. And the whole time I was just praying, please don't pick me last. Please don't pick me. I mean, honestly, that was my prayer. Please don't pick me last. And sometimes that, that happened and sometimes it didn't. Uh, needless to say, I, I know what rejection looks like. Without going into too much. I've been sharing a, a lot about my personal testimony in the last few weeks. I don't know if you picked up on that. Um, I, I have an experience, though, that I, I don't share. Because I, I don't want... I, I wonder if maybe the people that are involved in it might listen in someday, and I don't want it shared with them. But all I can say is that, man, I experienced a, a serious time of rejection with a, a couple people that were very, 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 very close in my life, and it hurt. It hurt bad, you know. But with saying that, I, I saw God use it to humble me. I saw God use it to move me to the place that I needed to go. Sometimes rejection is, is I'm thinking about somebody else that was rejected, but maybe it's moved them in a, a better direction, a better place. I, I know it is. I, you know, um, sometimes rejection is an invitation to the, to the life that God is moving you into, right? And sometimes it takes those hard moments to do that. And, and that might not make sense right now to you right now, but I hope it does in the future. I hope it does as we go through this sermon. But like I said, sometimes rejection is a strangely wrapped gift. Pray about that. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 43. Would you stand with me or get in a position where you can honor God's word? John chapter 4, starting at verse 43. After the two days, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. Remember last week, that's what we talked about. And at Capernaum, where there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he had began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and... <clears throat> And all his household. This was the second sign <clears throat> that Jesus did when he had come from Judea. 
to Galilee. Would you pray with me? Maybe pray for me. <clears throat> wow, I've never had that happen. That was weird. Father, I just thank you for today. Lord, I just pray that, thank you, that uh, you would speak to your word. Lord, if you want to do something different here today, do it. Father, I just pray that you'd be honored that you would glory, be glorified, that you would soften our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears to the message that you have for us. Father, pray that you'd give me a boldness to proclaim it. Give me the words to say. Lord, we love you and give you all praise and all honor. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. If you're taking notes, I want to give you some words today to write down. The first word is reception. Reception. This is similar to one of last week's points. At the start of this text, we read that Jesus departs and heads to Galilee. And when he comes there, verse 45, we read that the Galileans did something. They welcomed him. Last week, there was a particular reason that Jesus was invited, that Jesus came to the wedding feast and he was there because he was invited, right? And as I said last week, I think sometimes we can look at people and we can see what God is doing in their lives and, and we almost get a little jealous of that. Look, look at how God is moving. Look, what, look what's happening to those people. And I said last week, maybe that's the time to ask ourselves, are we ourselves inviting God into our lives? Are we surrendering our lives to him so that he can work through them, right? So maybe that's you. I know I've thought that way before. Maybe that's the question to ask yourself. Do we even want him in our life? Because we know some things would probably end up changing. I don't know. Are we too busy are we too busy to have a quiet time where we welcome him into that? Are we too busy to get in his word? Those are questions that, that I want us to ask ourselves. Jesus didn't go back to his hometown because he wasn't welcomed there. So he ends up here. Is Jesus welcome in your home? Is he welcome when you're out with your friends? Could it be so simple, right? Could it be so simple that God is willing to work in your marriage if you only invite him into it? Could that simple thought be a means to unlocking a new life with Jesus Christ? Why not try it, right? If you're wondering that, why not try it? Try inviting him into every area of your life. Here's, here's the key, though, and you have to understand this, all right? Sometimes... When I was on my own, I didn't invite people over because my house was a mess and I didn't want them to come over and see that, right? Don't worry about that with Christ. Invite him over when the house is a mess. 
when your life is a mess. That's the time to invite him over. You don't have to clean it up. You don't have to straighten it up, right? Invite him over. Invite him into that. He'll even help you clean it up. Put things in order. Now's the time. Don't wait until you get it right. Do you get things cleaned up? That's not how it works. Now, I mentioned that Jesus went to Galilee. Here's the other part of that. He didn't go to Nazareth, his hometown. He said in a passage, a prophet has no honor in his hometown. Judea and Nazareth were the most difficult places for Jesus to minister. Let, let that sink in for a minute. Judea and Nazareth, his hometowns, were the most difficult places to minister. The places that should have welcomed him the most, right, were the most unwelcoming. It's not that he didn't try to minister there. He went to the synagogue in Nazareth, and a scroll of Isaiah was handed to him, and he read this passage. He read this prophecy about himself. Luke 4.18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free. And that time of the Lord's favor has come. And after he read this, he handed the scroll back to him, and he said this, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your presence. Seven verses later, in Luke 4.28, it says this, When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him, and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff. A little unwelcoming, right? Unfortunately, sometimes the people that know us the best doubt us the most. That's just a, a side note maybe for somebody, because as you grow on your faith journey, right, as you grow on this path of salvation, there will be those that reject you, probably close, those that can't accept you, accept where you're moving and try to drag you down. I, I know a person that has a religious family, right? And this person is growing, and every time this person talks to this family member, this family member just puts them down. Sometimes it's the people close to us, right, that reject us. Speaking about his hometown, Nazareth, Mark 6, 5 says, and he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Their unbelief prevented Jesus from doing mighty works. He, let me underline this, couldn't do it. And so I would say Jesus would, probably described this as a bad ministry day, right? All he could do was just lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. You know, that's all he could do, just, just heal some people. If you think about this, it reveals something very important about Jesus's priorities, though. Healing on the outside isn't the priority. Healing on the outside isn't the priority. I've, I've pointed this out before, but our prayer list is mostly about sickness. Mostly about sickness and, and healing. That wasn't Jesus' priority, though. And I say that lovingly, right? Not that healing 
people or helping people isn't important. I'm not saying that, right? It's just not the number one important thing. It's not the priority that's important. Jesus used the miracles of, of, of healing people to do the works inside, to get to them, to heal their hearts, and to do a change inside of them. That's how he used it. Do you remember the group of friends who, who lowered their paralytic friend down through a roof, right, just so they could get him in front of Jesus? Do you remember what Jesus did and he said, Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus saw their faith, when he saw their faith, he said what to them? He said, he looked at the man, the paralytic, and he said, son, your sins are forgiven. Priority one has to be our priority one. Your sins are forgiven. Religious leaders started grumbling. Religious leaders are always grumbling, grumbling, right? They started grumbling over this. So Jesus says, you know what? Just to prove that I have the authority to do this, I'll heal him too. And he says, take up your mat, right? And walk. And he's healed. Priority one, though, was salvation. Was a heart change. Was a heart miracle. We're amazed by the physical. But we should be focused on the eternal. Anyone that Jesus healed... And he healed a lot, right, while he was on this earth. Leprosy, blind, lame, fed a bunch of people. Anyone that he healed, they ended up dying, right? But anyone that he healed on the inside, anyone that believed in him, they'll be alive forevermore. Amen? Priority number one. The eternal should be the focus of our prayers. If you hear me when I pray, I hardly ever just pray for a person's health. I want and I ask God to move in that situation. Lord, use that health situation to draw them to know you if they don't know you. Lord, use that health situation if they do know you to just draw them deeper independence because every time I've gone through things, the tough things in life, right, it's caused me to latch on to Jesus Christ, to cling to that rock. And that's when I've grown. He's helped me through that. That's when I've realized he's there with me. Like I remember being a teenager. Is, is, is God really around? Is he really real? Can I really talk to him? It's been through the painful times, through the times of rejection. Those are the times that I discovered he is real. And those are the times that have changed my life and brought me to a place that I wouldn't have been unless those times happened bad ministry a bad ministry day for jesus was that he could just heal some sick people we'd probably consider that a great ministry day if a few sick people got healed but what good is that if they don't put their faith in jesus christ that's our priority okay so nazareth not so good on a reception right before this passage, we read the account of Jesus, and he's in Samaria. And he meets and talks with the Samaritan woman at a well. You know the story. She's been married five times, right? One of those type of women. That's how the religious people would see her. And she's living with a guy. Uh-oh, right? And she talks to Jesus, and she ends up believing in him, right? She ends up believing him. She even goes back to her town, tells all her friends, hey, you got to come meet this Jesus guy. And revival breaks out in Samaria. You know the deal about Samaria, right? Jews hated Samaritans. 
Samaritans hated Jews. Each of them thought that they didn't worship right. Each of them didn't like each other's churches. There's a lot of racial tension. Jews thought that Samaritans were racially unclean, right? Look down on them. There's a lot of bigotry, racial tension going on. And here's Jesus talking to a Samaritan. I mean, they wouldn't even, Jews wouldn't even go through their country. They'd go around it. That's how much they hated him. But here's Jesus, a Jew, right? Talking to a Samaritan woman, sharing the good news. His disciples are like, what in the world are you doing? Do you you know who you're talking to? Jesus? Man, she's had five, five husbands and she's living with somebody. She's a Samaritan. And here's where revival breaks out. You ever, you ever had a side and there's people on a different side and you look at them and you're like, man, I'm not even going to bother. There's no, way, there's no way God will ever reach those people. I'm not going to make even time or make any, even an attempt to do that. Man, remember the story when you think about that didn't get accepted in Nazareth, his hometown. Rejection moves him to Samaria. And revival breaks out. Amen? Sometimes rejection moves us to where God wants, us to, wants to use us. And revival can break out. Amen? Back to this passage in verse 46. After he leaves, he comes to Galilee because they've received him. He heads to Cana, and we learn that at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So picture this scene. This guy comes, bursts onto it, and the second word I want you to write down is desperation. There's desperation all over his face. He begins to speak, my son is at a point of death. Will you come and heal him? Won't you, Jesus, come with me? And interestingly enough, Jesus responds with frustration. You ever wonder about that? Turning to the crowd and saying, verse 48, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Here's a guy with a great need, and Jesus gets frustrated, right? That may seem insensitive, but you have to understand the context of this, right? The text we read that this this man was an official in the Greek. It's actually a king's man. That's how it's translated. Many believe that this man actually worked for King Herod. King Herod was the only king in this area. So this man was likely a part of the king's court, maybe even a relative we know that King Herod actually liked Jesus or was, I should say, fascinated by Jesus. He, he heard about the miracles that Jesus was doing and really wanted to see them like we would want to see a magician, a performer, right? Oh, this is really entertaining. Oh, this is really spectacular. I got to see it. I got to experience it. Later on, Jesus was actually come before King Herod And we have this account in Luke 23, 8. It says this, When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign 
done by him. He wanted to see the trick. He wanted to see the miracles. Here's the thing, though. Jesus didn't come to do magic tricks. Right? And so in this moment, when the man comes to ask him for something, to do something, he's responding to this popular sentiment that had put Jesus on the radar for a lot of people. But he realized, you don't really want anything to do with me. You don't really want me. You just want me to do a trick. You just want me to do something for you. That's what he's saying here. You don't really actually want me. You just want to use me. See the signs and miracles. Be amazed. That's the popular sentiment. I don't know if you've seen this in your own life. Sometimes that's a popular sentiment with a lot of Christians. They just want Santa. They just want Jesus to follow Jesus because they think he's going to do something for them. Maybe that's the way preachers preach too when it comes to health and wealth. There's also another reason, though. The guy could have got all offended here, right? I think Jesus was actually given an opportunity to be offended. Gospel is kind of the same way. Bitter on the outside, sweet on the inside. Kind of a tough pill to swallow. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. But there's hope. Christ died for you. And if you accept him, right, your sins can be forgiven. You can be saved. You can either be offended by that or humbled by that. That's a choice. You can be offended or you can be desperate and fall at his feet and say, Lord, I am a sinner. There is nothing good in me. Man, I I say that more and more. The closer I come to God, the more I realize just just how lacking I am, how, how dependent I am on God's grace. Without God's grace, there is no hope for me. There is no hope for me. That's all of us, right? We're all sinners. We're desperate for a Savior. How does the guy respond? He doubles down. Sir, come before my child dies. Another translation says, my dear child, my, my baby boy, please come down. Jesus answered, Jesus' answer in a sense is no. Go, your son will live. Please come with me. That's what the guy asked, right? What he wanted. Put your hand on him, Lord. Just, just please do this. Pray for him. No, he, he doesn't do that, though. Instead, he tells him to go and your son will live. So it was a rejection of sorts. Jesus has rejected this man's request. Go home. And amazingly, though, we see that this man does that, right? This man believes. His response, submission, has to be all our responses when Jesus tells us to do something. That's the third word I want you to write down, submission. He did exactly what Jesus said, and he walked away. How far? 22 miles. 22 miles was the distance from Capernaum to Canaan. Verse 47 says that when he heard where Jesus was, he came to him. He already had walked at once that day, 22 miles, probably a little over eight hours for 
people back then. He walks all that way, asks Jesus to come back with him. Jesus says, no, just go home. Your son will live, right? He's got an eight-mile, eight-plus-mile trek back home. In fact, he can't even finish it that day. He ends up getting there the next morning, right? And when he finishes that journey, his servants meet him, come out to him, and they tell him, hey, your son lives. He's, he's getting better. And what's his question? Do you remember? He asked, what was the hour that things started to change, that things began to get better? And his servants said at, it was at the seventh hour, the same exact hour that Jesus said to him, your son will live. He knew it was exactly when Jesus said those words that his son was healed. And, and here's what I, I think God wants us to realize. This man took a walk of faith, right? He had to take a walk of faith. He took Jesus at his word. And here's the big thing that I think we, we learned from the second sign, the second miracle that we're looking at in this series, is that we must believe without seeing. That's faith, right? Not the other way around. We want God to move. We want God to do something before we'll step out on faith. But God asks us to, to start walking before we know the answer, before we know how it's going to turn out. Step out, right? Step into the river. Then the waters will get divided. God doesn't divide the waters, and then we step through. We step into the river, we step out on faith, and that's when God is faithful. I, I love this picture, a 22-mile miracle. I wonder what was going through this guy's head. 22 miles walking where he had to just believe and trust God for his son, for his dear son, right? Keep moving, not lose heart. Keep walking, keep going, keep believing, hour after hour, right? Then he's got to stay somewhere, stop somewhere, spend the night somewhere. I'm sure he's thinking about that. I'm sure he's still praying. And in the morning, he's got to keep moving, keep walking again. Believing, even though he wasn't given what he asked for, right? He simply believed that just Jesus spoke the word. He could trust it. I'm going to keep walking I'm going to keep believing. I'm going to keep going until it's over. Maybe that's you. You've asked for something. But Jesus said, no. Keep walking. Go. Keep walking. Maybe he told you something else. Can, can this encourage you to keep on trusting him with whatever answer he gave you? Maybe it was a no. Maybe it was a not yet. Maybe it was a yes. I don't know. Can this just encourage you to keep walking? Trust him, right? Trust him when he says no to your requests. This man was healed. This man's son was healed. But here's the thing. That's not the best part. That's not even close to the best part. Did you catch it, right? Did you catch the best part? I've read this many times. I've read through the Bible probably 10 times and read through particular passages even more than that. But I never caught this. I skipped over this part. The true miracle. Verse 53. And he himself believed in all his household. 
his whole household believed. What better miracle could you ask for? Right? God saved his whole household. They all believed in Jesus. That's the miracle I want to pray for. That's the miracle I want us all to pray for. Lord, use this. Use whatever's going on in this person's life. Use whatever's going on in my life. Use whatever rejection. Use it. Use whatever sickness. Use whatever problem. Use whatever difficult work situation. Just draw me in dependence on you. Draw me closer to you. Lead somebody to you. Right? Whatever it is. Lord, may my whole family be saved. May my brother and sister be saved. May my kids be saved. May my children's children be saved. May my children to a thousand generations, right, be saved. That's the prayer. That's our desire. My, my first prayer is not, Lord, make my son an awesome, awesome basketball player, Right? Not that my daughter can catch a four-turn. She, kept the, she caught a three-turn in baton at a basketball game. Had to pay her 20 bucks. <laughs> my prayer is not that they get good grades. My first prayer is not that they get good grades. Not that they get good jobs. Not that they even have good health. My first prayer is that they know Jesus Christ. Man, I pray for those other things. I pray, man... Bring a godly person into their life, friends, right? Bring a godly spouse into their lives. But first, my first priority is that they they know him. And if it takes rejection in their life, if it takes something happen to me, do it. Whatever it takes. Whatever you need to do, Lord, help that. And show me what to do to be a part of that, right? Rejection can be the greatest gift if it brings us to believing and trusting in him, if it brings to us a, to a deeper faith. Rejection on what this guy wanted ended up in his family coming to know Christ. You know who Michael Collins is? Third, third crew member of the uh, Apollo 11 with Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong. Interestingly, he wasn't supposed to be on this, this crew. He wasn't supposed to be there when, when Neil Armstrong took that first step, right? He was actually one of the few people that didn't get to see it or hear it. Even though he was there, even though he was on that crew, right? Half a billion people tuned in either to the radio when that happened or watched it on television. He didn't get to see it. He didn't get to see it when Neil Armstrong said those words, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. He couldn't hear it because he was on the other side of the moon in a, in a dark spot, the dark side of the moon, no, no radio reception. Here, here, he was the closest person to it. But he couldn't hear it. He couldn't see it. And, and I want to say that to somebody in here today. Don't let that be you. Right? Don't let that be you. May it never be so among us that we hear the word of God and we don't respond to it. That we hear from Jesus Christ tugging at our hearts and we don't respond to it. We don't see it. Right? 
Make that part of your prayer. Here's the interesting part, though. Michael Collins wasn't supposed to be on there. He's never supposed to be here. Uh, he was actually supposed to be on Apollo 8. Apollo 8 was supposed to circle the moon and, and then come back. Along the way, though, before he got to do that, he had a physical ailment. And, and they said, unless you have surgery, you're, you're going kick, to get kicked out of NASA. You're going to get kicked out of the Air Force. And so he has this surgery, and he has this, goes to this operation, and he thought his career was over with them, right? And he got kicked off of Apollo 8, and, and talk about feeling rejected, right? He said, I, dropped, I was, had been dropped from the crew as soon as the necessity for my operation had become apparent. Dropped, he said, like a hot potato. Rejected. Goes forward, though, has surgery. Honestly, he said he had no hope of getting back into the program. But that's when they said, hey, we've got a mission for you. You're not going to be a part of Apollo 8, sorry. But we're going to put you on Apollo 11. The mission to actually put people on the moon. And you're going to go down in history as part of that team. Right? Sometimes we experience rejection and we think we're missing out. We're missing out on something huge. But sometimes God's got something better for us. I think we've all experienced that, right? We thought we were missing out on something, but God had something far better for us. Look at Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs got fired, got pushed out from Apple, right? Ends up really working and developing with Pixar, and brings Pixar to the forefront. Then he ends up coming back to Apple and develops the iPod, the iPhone, right, the iPad. And he would say that was one of the best things that ever happened to him was getting kicked out of Apple, getting pushed out. Tom Brady's retiring. Tom Brady's draft story is a story of rejection, right? He didn't go top 10. He didn't go first round, sixth round, 199. That means he was rejected 198 times before he was drafted. And, and like it or not, like the guy or not, he did some amazing things. Seven Super Bowl championships, right? People weren't impressed with him. People rejected him, right? They saw weakness. They saw how he couldn't throw. That's what they thought. He wasn't much to look at. Seven rings later, though, things changed. Michael Jordan, my favorite person, gets cut from a freshman, from the varsity team as a freshman. It was that rejection, right, that caused him to go out and try harder, push harder, and probably made him a, a reason that he is what he did. Sometimes rejection is a strangely wrapped gift. Right? Would you stand with me? I don't know where you're at. I don't know what's going on in your life. But if you're dealing with it, rejection, can I challenge you with something? Praise God for it. I know that seems like the last thing you should do. But praise God for it and trust that he's going to do something through it in your life. Whatever that is. And trust your life to him. Christ was rejected by a lot of people. 
Don't let that be one of you. Right? The gospel is a bitter pill to swallow, but it's the good news. You're a sinner. There is no hope from you outside of Jesus Christ. There is no hope for me outside of Jesus Christ. We all have sinned, the Bible says, and fall short of the glory of God. But the good news is that Jesus came to save us. Jesus came and died on a cross for us. Don't reject that. Accept it. Let it humble you. Yeah, I am a sinner. There is nothing good about me. But Father, I, I put my trust in you. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. Right? I believe that you made the way. That you just say, Father, save me. Right? Save me. Save a sinner like me. And accept it. Accept that grace. Accept that forgiveness. Don't let the enemy start beating you down. Don't let those that are close to you start beating you down and keep you down. Don't listen to that. Just listen to what the Savior of the world says, right? Because when you accept Christ, you become his son. You become his daughter. You become a child of God. And you can say, praise God. You got a new life. You got a new opportunity. And even if you fall down, right, you got a father there that'll pick you up. You got a church family that'll be there to pick you up. You got a church family that'll walk with you. If you'll give them the opportunity, if you don't reject him, if you accept him. Amen? Father, I just thank you for today. Lord, I pray that you're, you're speaking to anybody here right now that doesn't know you. Lord, don't let it be like Michael Collins being on the dark side of the moon where they don't hear it and they miss out. Help them hear it loud and clear. Help them to accept it, Lord, and let that new life just reign in them. Father, I pray that you'd remove the weight of the sin on their life, Lord, and set them free from that. That's what you came to do, right? You came to set the captives free. We've all been in sin to bondage. We all know what that's like, Lord. We all know the heavy load that that takes on our life. We all know how hard that is to carry. But Father, you offer to do that. You offer to take that away. And Father, we entrust ourselves to you and we ask you to do that. Lord, save us. Lord, save us. Father, give us an opportunity to tell somebody in the world today. Put somebody in our path today. And help us to share this good news. Father, can I speak to, can you speak to somebody who's facing rejection? Maybe it's from a family member. Maybe it's from society because of a, a way we look, Lord, or a way we act. Father, we entrust it to you. Lord, we ask that you would use this rejection to draw us closer to you, to move us to the place where you want us to be, to build us to be the person that you've created each and every one of us to be. Lord, so we say, thank you for it. Not that we enjoy it, not that we want it, but we just believe that you can do something through it to put a burning desire in our heart, to move us into that place, Lord. Thank you. Lord, we give you praise. We give you honor.
in all things. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you.